Amen. Thank you, Yannick, and thank you, worship team. I appreciate the uh, rich doctrine in that new song. It was wonderful. So this is a, Josh, this is a new one. I went to put it on and I just, just right? Uh, yeah, it fits a lot better. Thank you. But anyway, I went to put this on a minute ago and it's like, uh, this, is, this is different. And, um, but it fits well. Thanks, Josh, for taking care of me in that way. Uh, we're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians, but before we dive in there, I just want to thank our youth group. Last week I was handed this thank you note uh, and from our youth group, and I received kind words of gratitude from you guys. I won't embarrass you and read who said what, um, but they're very grateful that I don't lead them astray, um, that, I, that I preach God's word, and there was even something in there for uh, and the many years to come. So, apparently I'm going to be here a while. We'll see about that. Yeah. But anyway, thank you so much. We're very blessed this morning. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to forewarn you, my introduction will be a little longer than usual, just because these are unusual words, and it's a circumstance here in church life that's messy. And we just kind of almost have to ease into it and get our heads right so we can properly understand it. Um, I recently heard a sociologist, a psychologist, and a psychiatrist. The man had many degrees. And he said something to the effect of, "Here's here's what I know for sure. And I don't know that this person is a Christian or not. I don't know if they're a Christian or not. Here's what I know. And he's talking about when he helps people and counsels people, whether it's marriage, whether it's family counseling, group counseling. What I know is that lies and deception destroy. But when people start telling the truth and being honest, things just get better. And that just really stuck with me because that's a, a powerful message. That in real life, and I know our culture has all kinds of different teachings and beliefs and how important is truth, and we can throw that around theoretically, but in in real life, lies and and deception and seduction, it, it destroys. It tears things apart. But when we are honest with each other and truthful with each other, things just get better. And that applies to our passage in the sense that the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, a fairly young church, and things have gotten messy. Paul's not there anymore, and some false teachers have come into this church and infiltrated it, and they've said some unkind things and untrue things about Paul. They're kind of undermining him, and they are setting themselves up as the stars, as the new leaders as those with, uh, that are better than the Apostle Paul. And Paul, as we will read shortly, even refers to them as the super apostles. And so Paul's in a, a tough situation because what do you, how do you shepherd a church in this situation? What do you tell people, most of them long, young believers? You know, how do you not overwhelm them with words? And how do I not undermine myself, my own character? How do I honor God in what I say? And if you've been following along, you, you've already noticed in this book that Paul is really, really cautious in how he uses his words. 
Like, in my opinion, he's overly cautious. I would be more reckless. I would just probably speak my mind more. But he is so careful in what he says to people because, the, because he represents Christ and he wants believers to grow in Christ. And so he's just tiptoeing around things. But he's been, in, he's been accused. He's been falsely accused here by these teachers. So he has to decide, you know, what, what do I do? How do I, how do I defend myself? Should I even defend myself? In real life, you will know that if you're innocent and you've been accused of things, that there are times when it's better just not even to say anything. It's a messy situation and you're in a situation where you realize, you know what, if I even try to defend myself here, things will only get worse. I'm just going to, hopefully the truth will come out someday. And there are times when it's better to remain silent. Matter of fact, if you've ever been arrested, you will be instructed that it might be to your advantage not to say anything as anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. So you have to be really, really careful about what words come out of your mouth and the message that you portray. Uh, sometimes it's more helpful to defend yourself and you can work, work that out. I remember, um, it's been years ago now, but our leadership attended a T4G conference where Pastor John MacArthur, I think he had been a pastor for 50 years at that time, so it's, it's more than that now. But um, he was speaking to pastors, and somehow the topic came up, and he said, I don't uh, defend myself, I let my leadership team do that for me. And this is a man that gets his share of criticism. But I thought, well, that's interesting, that was his approach. That he, he often, if he's accused, and I don't know what degree or any examples, but if he's accused, he lets his leadership team take care of that and get to the bottom of things. Um, so Paul is deciding that he needs to say something because what's being portrayed or perpetrated by these false teachers is putting the lives of believers, or at least their spiritual lives, in danger. This is a time where he speaks up. And he goes off script, if you will, because he even gets, finally, he gets a little reckless with his words, if you will. We'll read that in a second. But here's why he decides to speak up. Something needs to be said. And it, the record needs to be straight, set straight, because the gospel itself is at stake. And I think it's important for us to realize, as we listen to the Apostle Paul defend himself, the, the motive behind it is not so much... I don't want to look bad in front of the people. Or I, don't, I want to get credit for everything I've done because I've worked so hard. His, his, he's driven to defend himself because the gospel is at stake. The gospel saves sinners. And the gospel can be portrayed or heard in a correct way that whereby someone can be saved. And truly understand the true God. Or it can be perverted. It can be diluted. And you can think you're saved and you're not. Or you, be, you can be totally deceived. And not even it close to true Christianity. So the Apostle Paul sees that the Corinthian church is being undermined. And they are being seduced. They're being deceived. They're being led astray. They're being literally led away from Christ. It's not just like, well, you're still safe here. You're being led away from Christ. And so he is very compelled to defend himself in that way. 
so that Christ can be exalted. It's not about exalting himself. And one of the ways that you can sometimes detect somebody uh, that might be a false teacher in Christianity is because all they do is exalt themselves. And that should be a sure sign where we need to tread cautiously when you have somebody that just wants to talk about themselves and their own achievement achievements. The Apostle Paul has brought them Christ and Christ crucified. And he made that plain from the very beginning. Look, that's what I'm here to do. It's not about me. It's about God. Recently, um, Lisa and I were listening to some devotions, morning devotions from an app. I think it's version or, or they send you a Bible verse every day. So we started listening to a few of those. You have a Bible verse and then somebody, there's a little video, a short video that explains that verse. And it was interesting to me to listen to these videos. They come from people from all genders. I'm assuming all uh, different genders, races, denomination. So you have a good mix there. But some of these individuals in introducing themselves talked about their achievements. So I'm, you know, it would be, I'm, I'm Pastor Paul, I'm a successful business owner, I, I'm a successful publisher, and I'm also a, a pastor of a church. And um, so we just kind of noticed the difference, whereas some of the people that would give the devotion, expound God's word, would just say simply, I'm, this is my name and, or my role, and, and then dove right into the devotion. And after, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 of these, there was a marked difference in the content of the devotion. It's like you could almost predict which devotion, devotion would be more Christ-exalting and less about the self. And it became predictable. So the Apostle Paul is about exalting Christ, and this is important. He's not marketing himself like these false teachers would do. It's for the sake of Christ, for the work of Christ. But he has to talk about himself because when it comes to the gospel, it is a message in which the messenger counts. The messenger matters. Now, there's limits to it, but the messenger counts. So he was the original person that brought the gospel to them and planted a church. And so there's a sense which he represents the message. Now, if you were a... There's times where this doesn't matter, but there's times where it does matter. So let's just say uh, you were selling door-to-door exercise equipment. And your body type did not at all support the message of exercise equipment. There's times where that will, that will hurt you. Um, the, so the messenger needs to, to back up or live out the effectiveness of the message to show that you believe in it. That doesn't mean that the exercise machine doesn't work. Exercise machine does work. But the messenger of the exercise machine is not an example of how it might work. When it comes to the gospel, the messenger is important. Now, the gospel doesn't depend on the messenger. It depends on Christ. But it's helpful, and God uses messengers. So we want to believe, if we believe in God, when we share the message, it will come out in our lifestyle. So to attack the character or the person of Paul... 
to undermine the messenger is also to undermine in some way, or at least to make an attempt to underline the message. There are times when the messenger does not matter, doesn't matter. So like if you're in a battle, there's a big war going on, and you're on the losing side and you need to just call it quits. Now you see it in the movies sometimes, like we need, to, we need to wave the flag, we need a messenger, we need somebody. Here, you, get, you just grab somebody, grab this pole and this flag and just walk out into the middle of the flag to get the message out. We surrender, we've had enough. doesn't matter who that person is or what kind of warrior they are, how long they've been fighting. The important thing is that the message is clear. So, in Paul's case, he wants to defend himself. Because if you start undermining this original person that came with this message, then if he's a loser, then what about the words that he spoke? We don't want to make the mistake, even though messengers count, we should never make the mistake that it all depends on the messenger. Because that which is glorious is the message itself and the fulfiller of that message, Jesus Christ. And God has been working and building his kingdom and fulfilling his promise with great messengers and sorry messengers. And God's plan will still be fulfilled. So we don't want to take ourselves too seriously in the sense that the gospel will fail because I failed or because this messenger is not up to par. The gospel itself does not make or break on the Apostle Paul. So I want to make that clear. It doesn't only hinge on him. But his character and his lifestyle needs to back it up for the effectiveness of it. As Christians, we need to be careful also in the hope that we put in the messenger. As opposed to the message itself. Because if we put too much weight on the messenger and the messenger fails. I've seen people walk away from the church over a, a pastor or a leader that had a failure. And were disheartened with Christianity because of that person's lifestyle. What we need to be in love with as believers is the truth of the gospel. It's a treasure. It's gold to us. Just the message itself through the incarnate Christ is what we need to be the most enthralled with. Messengers come and go. Some impress, some disappoint. But Christ is forever worthy. Christ alone. And the Apostle Paul is defending himself only in order to exalt Christ. The second reason I think the Apostle Paul is writing and defending himself is evident. And that is, he thinks he's got a chance to win them back. All is not lost. So there's some deception going on there. They've been infiltrated. But it's because of their immaturity. They were easy to persuade. Well, if they're easy to persuade in the wrong direction, hopefully I can... Persuade them back into the right direction. They're still formable or shapeable. So he writes in the confidence that because they're fickle, maybe he can win them back to the security of Christ. And he's going to get a little creative, or I'd say, as I would say, um, a little more reckless, if you will, with his words. He's going to be sarcastic. Now he's speaking my language. 
sarcasm. He's, he's a little facetious here in how he frames things. But it's in order to get his point across. Small doses of uh, sarcasm. The reason he has to say it like this is because to make, to make obvious what should have already been obvious. Like they should have already known what he's about to say, but they didn't. And so he has to really make the point for them. The, um, the title of this message is not what it says in the bulletin. The bulletin is almost completely wrong. I think that was old information I must have sent Michelle. And then I changed it and decided to do, go a different direction and forgot to tell her. So anyway, the title is important. The wise man who acted the fool and the fools who acted the wise man. And there's just two points in this. Follow along. I'm going to read the first uh, six verses. I wish you could bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you. Since I betrothed you to one husband. To present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning. Your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed. Or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received. Or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted. You put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. I want to just read, I'm going to go forward and read a few uh, more verses just to get an, so you get an idea of where he's coming from. Verse 7, did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge. So what happens is the apostle Paul did, uh, had godly behavior and made godly decisions and treated them in kindness and selflessness. And it was turned against him. We'll, we'll get into that some other time, not this morning. In verse 12, and what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So you see where Paul's coming from. This is his angle. This is how he sees what's happening. Now the church may be enthralled with these new leaders. They might think, wow, we're finally getting somewhere. This is wonderful. And the Apostle Paul is saying, this is not wonderful. You're being deceived and even Satan is behind this. And I want to make this obvious to you. But first he says that in order for me to make my case, you have to bear with me because I'm going to speak like I don't usually speak. And I'm going to speak what he calls foolishly. So in essence, would you just bear with me? Just listen to me. Don't cut me out. Just bear with me a little bit. We have history. Now think about this. We have history together. I was with you. I spent months and months with you. 
So hang in there. He's speaking sarcastically and foolishly. Why foolishly? Because he's, he's uh, boasting a little bit. He didn't want to have to do it, but he has to. And we'll look at the rest of the chapter later. But he has to point out some of his credentials and things that he's done that were good and right. Now he's already, you know, we, we're not supposed to boast in ourselves, right? That's a Christian teaching. Though he's saying, I got to speak, I have to do this. Because you are in serious danger. And he's uncomfortable with it because just in chapter 10, you may recall that he says it's not right to commend yourself, especially when you are your own standard. And that's what the false teachers were doing. Patting themselves on the back based on their own credentials and their own standard. But he has to say, as awkward as it is, uh, actually, I'm not as bad as what they're saying. Later on, he says, they, I, I have knowledge here. And they may be better than me in the way they deliver the message, but not in the content, the message itself. I am not inferior in that way. So they were pushing him down and lifting themselves up. And so in foolishness, in their foolishness, the way they were acting was forcing Paul to bring these things out. So the false teachers are seducing the church. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, 19, the Apostle Paul says, Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. So he wants to set the, he just says it very plainly. I'm only speaking this way for you, not to lift myself up. It's so that you can grow in Christ, so hear me out. And here's where the warning comes in. Secondly, bearing with, so bearing with foolishness, but now bearing with disloyalty or devotion. And he, he expresses a fear, a concern that he has. I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one that we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. So he's afraid that deception and deception is taking place. And he's trying to make this obvious to them, just as Eve was deceived. Next time, I'm going to elaborate just on that verse and spend a whole message on how does that happen? I mean, how, is the, how does Satan work in our hearts and our minds to where he can actually move us from this place intellectually to this place where we're believing lies and we've exchanged truth? How can he be so cunning? We'll spend some time in that. The Apostle Paul can hardly believe how easily they have been deceived. How easily they've been persuaded. He said, they have come with a different gospel, a different spirit, and you readily accepted it. Like there was no fight. There were no red flags that went up like, wait a minute, we ought to have some caution here. They were just very easily led astray. They opened their arms wide and lovingly, and acceptingly to falsehood. 
And that's hard for Paul to swallow, and he's very concerned about this. So we know that the Apostle Paul, in our eyes, so we've read all the books, we know the whole story. And he's a great man, and he's a great servant of God. And he's being rejected in this passage here by people that he originally brought the gospel to, people that he served so well, he made countless sacrifices. And they just got rid of him that fast, replaced him that fast. And it's, it's hard for me as someone who knows the end of the story and knows all that the Apostle Paul gave to people to, to think that anybody could be so easily persuaded. When somebody comes into your life and just gives you their all, it makes an impact on you. And you would think that that's the kind of person I do not want to be disloyal to. That's the kind of person that I do want to follow as an example because I truly feel safe and loved and honored by this person. They speak truth to me. They serve me. It's not just about themselves. And yet in real life, in that day and age, the Apostle Paul was often rejected. Now he's a hero in our eyes today. He's hailed as the greatest apostle, the greatest missionary that ever lived. And yet in real life in that day, he was often rejected, even though he gave his skin and blood to people for the sake of Christ. So listen to just a few of his final words as he nears the end of his life and his ministry. In his final letter to 2 Timothy 1.15 the Apostle Paul at this time is a prisoner awaiting execution. And he says, you are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me. And then again in 2 Timothy four sixteen and 17. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. Isn't it amazing that in the end, Paul had very few loyal friends and servants, partners in the gospel. They abandoned him. It's hard to fathom that. But just as followers should marvel mostly in Christ and not the messenger. So the teacher, the pastor, the missionary also needs to marvel the most in Christ and not the followers. Not put our hope in the followers. One of the best things I think that God did for me in ministry was that I had close proximity to Pastor Kirk. Basically became a part of the family. But before that, I was, he discipled me, and so I got a firsthand uh, boots-on-the-ground experience of ministry, and I learned that you cannot go into ministry naively thinking that all your sacrifices are going to be sweetly reciprocated because that's not real life. It's a battle. And as leaders, as Sunday school teachers, as missionaries, as servants of any kind for the gospel... We can't be naive and think, oh man, I, God's going to reward me so greatly for my utter sacrifices. That's not how it works. Sometimes it does, and when it does, it's a blessing. But oftentimes, what we give of ourselves is not reciprocated. 
Sometimes it even comes back to us negatively. So whether we're leaders or whether we're followers, we cannot be naive as followers that every person that calls himself a teacher of the gospel is a true teacher. Every book that is written that has Jesus on it or whatever is the message of the truth and accurate. We can't be naive. We have to be on guard as well as those that are leaders. The thing that we all have to be the absolutely most enthralled with is not each other, but Christ. That is the way we stay guarded. That is the way we stay safe, is to be infatuated with Christ. So how does Paul see his role in their lives? Well, he sees himself, he gives, we were talking about analogies this morning. Paul gives an analogy. Why is he so concerned? Why is he even care. You know, there are times when you get rejected where you shake the dust off your feet. There's time to call it quits. Paul doesn't call it quits. And he gives us an analogy. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. So in other words, he's saying I was at your wedding. Not only was I at your wedding, but I officiated it. I was the one that brought you to Christ. That's how important we should be to each other. So he talks about weddings. It was a little different in their day than it is in our day. In their day, uh, there were two big events that happened in a wedding. There was the betrothal, and then there was the nuptial. So the betrothal was like what we would consider today an engagement. Put a ring on it kind of thing. And then that you have the act, the nuptials or the actual marriage ceremony. So in that day, the betrothal was a huge deal. That was actually when uh, the contract took place, when you betrothed yourself to someone. And then it was just a matter of time for when the wedding would take place. So it wasn't, and the betrothal wasn't so much put a ring on it, but was put a contract on it kind of thinking. It was, abso- it was an absolute Commitment in and of itself broken only by death or divorce. And so after the betrothal in that day, there was a waiting period. And we, we do this in our day as well sometimes. Uh, now that we're betrothed, the man wants to prepare for his new family, his new household. And so there's a period of time, a period of waiting where he, the idea is that I'm going to prepare for this. And then the job of the father of the bride during that time is to keep his, his daughter pure. So when the nuptial takes place, there hasn't been any complication that would interfere with that. The Apostle Paul sees himself in the role of the father. Because he says, you're betrothed, I brought you to Christ, you're betrothed to Christ, and now it's my role as a father to keep you pure. And so I'm writing to you to let you know that you are in great danger of not being purely devoted to Christ. You are in danger of being seduced and led away. Jesus gives us the same example. We are betrothed to him if we are true Christians. And we are in a waiting period, if you will, when Jesus tells us what? He made this promise. I'm coming back to get you because I made a promise to you. And he says that in my, in my mansion there are many rooms. 
And I will come and get you and bring you back to myself. That's marriage talk. That's nuptial talk. I've made a promise. And we're in this waiting period in heaven. And I'm, there's great preparation taking place by Christ for us in heaven. And he will come back and bring us up to that. I like the version that says dwelling places, not rooms. Because I don't picture heaven as like this gigantic hotel where we're all in one place. I think it's more like a kingdom. It's a kingdom resort where there's lots of dwellings all over the place, whatever. But Christ will come and take us back. So it's a time of preparation. And the Apostle Paul wants to keep them pure, do his part as the father and keep them pure until Christ comes back so that he can present them. To Jesus as those who have not been defiled, who have not been led astray, who have not committed idolatry or adultery in any way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10, Paul also said, you know what, when it gets right down to it, we're fools for Christ. Because you are so important and Christ is so exalted that we will do anything within the boundaries of the law and honoring God. We will do what we can do to keep you close to him. So bear with me. Bear with me as I express my concerns about your, your disloyalty. You fell head over heels for these false teachers. You need to be tougher. You need to be more discerning. Your thoughts will be led astray from a severe, a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So what's at risk is a disloyalty here. How can this be? Well, they're being deceived. Satan makes promises. Satan is behind it, the Apostle Paul says. James tells us that when it pertaining any kind of false teaching, Satan's behind it. He's tricky. So we have to be careful with those promises where uh, of the inside scoop. You think you know this, but there's a lot more to the story. And I'd be willing to share it with you for a price or for something. We have to, we have to prepare ourselves for those kind of promises. In the garden, Satan promised something to man that he could not deliver. Sin can never deliver, but it's so enticing and it's so, so easy to fall for. The inside scoop, the, the insights. Paul says it's pure, simple devotion to Christ. It's not trickery. I just brought you Christ and Christ crucified, the message of the gospel. It's easy. I recently listened to about a 20-minute uh, false teaching it's been a couple months now, but about the gospel. And this teacher uh, said that there are actually two gospels. And it burned me to hear this little 20-minute message because it was like the best example of false teaching that you could give. And the way that this person presented themselves. But as I listened, I heard these words. I wrote them down because I knew I could use them uh, someday. This is what you have been taught Probably all your life about the gospel. But let me show you what you are missing out on. 
When you hear that stuff, be careful. The, and, and he went on to tell you what you were missing out on. It was so enticing. And you think, oh, there's a better way. There's a new way. This is even holier and more righteous. And, and God exalted them. What, what I had been taught in the church all my life. Oh, it was so seductive. It was so, so sad. But the gospel is plain. And Paul's saying, don't be Lord away. Lord away. There's no higher knowledge. This is his, the revelation. And, and God makes it accessible to you through his Holy Spirit. We're all on the same playing field and ground. That stuff doesn't exist. Let me close with this in verse 5. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to those super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Again, it's, the, it's just making it plain. So he's being sarcastic here and calling them super apostles because there's really nothing super about them except maybe their personality. They may have a, an alluring personality. And they fell so easily for them. The Apostle Paul, in the most humble way he can put it, says, I'm not in fear. Inferior. Rather than saying, actually, I'm better. He says, I am not inferior to these so-called super apostles. When it comes to the message, you can't improve it. It's the gospel. It's plain. It's simple. It's pure. You can't improve it. You don't disguise it. So Paul's not interested in trying to keep up with any theatrics or dynamics or personality dynamics. It's just preaching Christ and Christ crucified, not showcasing himself, not marketing himself. And he's willing to play the fool in order to keep the focus off himself and on to Jesus Christ. Jesus is whom we should fall over. The best way we can keep ourselves safe is by loving God, knowing God, and being infatuated with God, living for God, realizing that that's why we're here is to serve God and glory in God. And we have to be careful that we don't think that false teaching is something that's only in the Bible and it's in the past and we've evolved beyond it. That is not true. Unfortunately, I wish it was. But we need to be on our guard. It's just the world we live in. And the Holy Spirit will equip us as we seek God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. We seek him and we will find him. So behold the lamb. Just behold the lamb. Concentrate on the lamb. Love the lamb. Look at the lamb. Adore the lamb. Pure and simple devotion to the gospel and the person of Christ is what God is after in our hearts. May he bless the preaching of his word this morning.